All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is where we're going to be tonight. Ecclesiastes 10, don't stand yet. If you want to find your place there. All right, Ecclesiastes 10, if you found your place, stand me with me if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and uh, we're going to start our reading in verse 1 tonight. We'll read through verse 11. So Solomon says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor, and so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Yea, also when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. And, and he's just saying this, that a fool is known by everyone but the fool himself. So he walks by the way, and uh, he, he, his wisdom's not there, he is foolish, and he says to everyone, by the way he's living, the way he's acting, you know, I'm, I'm a fool. So everyone else sees it. Verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, as an heir which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoso breaketh an edge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct, and surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. So we're going to look for a theme in those verses tonight, and ask God to speak to our hearts. And I think there is one here. And so bear with me as we break down these verses. And I think a thread that runs through them. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the gift of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's take on life and its harsh realities. And Lord, sometimes the simple little things that could be a help to us. And I pray that tonight uh, we would just pay attention to this uh, challenge that is in the text and we'd be helped by it. And so would you guide our hearts in thinking tonight that we might be bettered for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Solomon, of course, as he progresses through the book, progresses from this idea of vanity and, and that wisdom is vain. And Of course, we understand he would have been the wisest man to have ever lived, that God had give, granted him that gift. And so he had begun the book because he's looking at this, this lateral trajectory of life and, and really minusing God from the equation and saying, even in this life, wisdom is, is vain. But as he progresses through the book, he gets to this point where now he's including the Lord. He's thinking about eternity. He's including God in his thought processes. And he says, hey, you know what? When God's involved, wisdom does matter. And it makes a difference in this life. And it is a benefit and it's a blessing. And all through chapter 9, he's been focusing on that. And he tells the story at the end of chapter 9 that we looked at last week. And he says, here was this great big kingdom. And most commentators and historians believe this is a true story. We don't know, and we don't even know the conclusion to it. We make some assumptions here. But it seems safe from the text. And so here's this big kingdom, and then here's this little small kingdom, if you will. And he, and he says, the big kingdom decides they're going to take out the little kingdom. And you look at the math and you say, well, it's a no-brainer. Of course they can do that. They have the military might. They have the weapons of war. They have all the advantage they need to easily take out the small kingdom. What they didn't account for and what they couldn't account for was that in the city was a poor man. But the Bible says he wasn't just poor. He was also wise. And this poor man, wise man devises this plan. And because of his plan, he is literally able to save their little place from the big guy. And, and, and the city is saved. 
And so life goes back to normal in the little city, and this man is overlooked. No one appreciates him, and no one says thank you. Because he's poor, he's kind of overlooked in this way, and no one remembers him. But his fruit remained. His influence, it lasted. And there's this challenge from the text that if you have to choose between weapons of war and wisdom, choose wisdom. You know, without the wisdom, you guys are dead. It's better to have wisdom. If you have to choose between money and wisdom, choose wisdom. It's great if you can have it all. But wisdom is to be pursued. And and that is what will ultimately deliver us in life. In verse 18, Solomon says these words, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Then he tags on this little phrase there. And I was talking to a friend this week, and we were breaking down last week's sermon and talking about it. And there's this phrase there at the end that almost feels like it's out of place. And he says, but one sinner destroyeth much good. And if you'll recall, I had lost my last page of notes last week. And so I didn't break that down very good. And that idea really bleeds into tonight's text. Because the idea is that a little wisdom, a little light, a little good can make all the difference in the world. So here's this poor wise man with a little bit of wisdom. And man, what a world of difference it makes. But the reverse principle is true as well. And that is a little sin, a little unrighteousness, a little darkness. Well, that too can make all the difference in the world. So here was a poor wise man with some wisdom. And boy, what a difference that made. But one sinner can have the same kind of impact, but in a reverse sense. One sinner can be just as impactful as one wise man. And so he, and Solomon is saying, we got to be careful with this. Much good is lost and it's destroyed because of one sinner. And now we come to chapter 10, verse 1. And he says in verse 1, if you would read there with me again, he says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. And so doth a little folly him that is reputation for wisdom and honor. It's not just sin that destroys good. Folly does too. It's not just sin that destroys good. It's folly too. And and there's a difference between sin and folly. As Christians, taking God's Word, it is easy to define the difference between what's good and evil, isn't it? And we we can look at things and be like, you know, uh, that's good and, and, and that's evil. And when we come up against things that are really black and white, we don't have to think long and hard about it. We look at God's word and say, well, that's, you know, that's obviously good. That's obviously evil. No, no big deal there. But the majority of life and our daily life and the things we interact with aren't black and white. They're gray. And it's the difference between wisdom and folly. And and there's a difference between those things. And it can get a little difficult to divine between the two. We understand often wisdom easier than we do foolishness. One man said there are five types of fools in the Bible. And he said there's the simple fool, the silly fool, the sensual fool, the scornful fool, the steadfast fool. Psalms 14.1 says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's about as base and foolish as you can get. We would look at a man like that and say, well, he's a fool. But it's a different kind of folly. That's a, a scorner. That's a type of scornful, uh, a scornful fool. There's another fool that Proverbs chapter 1 talks about. In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 4, Solomon would have been an author of this book too. And he says, to give subtlety, and then he says this word, to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. 
verse 22 of chapter 1. How long, ye simple ones, he says, will ye love simplicity? And scorners delight in the scorning. Fools hate knowledge. And there's that word again. He's decided there's a difference between a simple man and a scorner. Verse 14, uh, Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent looketh well to his going. The simple fool is simply a man. He, he, he's, he's not the guy who says there's no God. He's the guy who just doesn't live his life with wisdom. He's just not availing himself to common sense and to wisdom. It's not necessarily that he doesn't have a high IQ. When we say the word simple, we might think, well, uh, you know, someone whose IQ doesn't score very high. That's not what he's saying. It's not someone who is evil. It's not someone who's saying there's no God. This is a man who's simple, who's, who's not prudent. This is a man who gets in a hurry too many times. This is a man who, who doesn't slow down to think. This is a man who doesn't commit his mind and heart to learning. This is a person who doesn't ask questions. This is a person who doesn't ask God. This is a person who's naive about the constructs of life and the world, and they're content to live as a naive person. They're simple. And here's the trouble. So much of life isn't about what's good and evil. It's about what's best. It's about being prudent. It's about not living with such a simple mentality and outlook on life. Simple fools, they overlook and they minimize little things that can make a big difference in life. They don't focus on the things that are most important in life, and they don't consciously choose those things. They'd rather not think about it. They'd rather put it out of their minds. They don't want to deal with reality. They're simple. And Solomon is saying, don't be simple. Life's not good when you're simple. It'll hurt you if you're simple. And the illustration he chooses to use in, 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 in this verse and in this idea is a fly in the ointment of the apothecary. An apothecary was a perfumer. And so what was the ointment of the apothecary? Can you buy it at Walgreens drive-thru? What's the best brand, right? I mean, those are the questions that come to mind. Well, in Bible times, the apothecary's art um, was someone who blended and they would have prepared specially uh, selected spices. And this would have been an aromatic ointment they would have prepared, and it would have been for the purpose of a soothing and healing salve. So think, think uh, like, like a pharmacist type setting. The most sacred of such ointments was the holy anointing oil we read about in Exodus chapter 30. And the Bible says, thou shalt make it an oil of holy anointment, an ointment uh, compound after the art of the, and then we read this word again, apothecary, shall be a holy anointing oil. And so these men would have done things that were even related to the religion of the day. In ancient times, like times in today, being an apothecary took training. It took mentoring. It took learning. It was both an art and a science. It, was, it required a knowledge base that took effort and study and diligence to learn. In today's world, it takes, I don't know, five to eight years to obtain the degree, license, and credentials. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of money. It's a lot, it's a lot of commitment um, to be able to do what these men would have done back then. The ointment or medicine, again, like today in old times, it would have been expensive. It would have been hard to come by. Flowers, herbs, compounds, they had to be secured. And that took time. 
and that took effort. Then they had to be transported. And then those precious things, they had to be processed and then prepared and then stored and eventually applied in the the right way and, and and for the right purposes. A simple ointment or medicine, if considered from start to finish, from preparation to presentation to patient, it would would have represented years. It would have represented a lot of effort and toil and an investment. And so we might take these things for granted because, again, you know, we just place the order on our app now and we go through the drive-thru. And we're like, oh, give me that, you know, and here's my insurance card. And it wasn't necessarily that way for these people. And, And it's not today. There's still a lot of time and effort that's behind that transaction. The purpose of the apothecary was to make right what was wrong. Okay, so this is a big deal. And here's this ointment of the apothecary. And Solomon looks at this and says, somehow, not sure exactly what happened. Someone left it out. Someone walked away. It wasn't guarded. Maybe through, as pastor preached today out of Proverbs, through neglect. Somehow, flies were allowed to get into the ointment, and they died in the ointment. And because of the way that the ointment was constructed, there was a reaction, and all of a sudden, the ointment was ruined, and it began to stink. And all of this effort, and all this toil, and all this knowledge base that had gone into this ointment of the apothecary, it was contaminated. And that which was meant for good was now rendered useless, and there was no purpose to it. Something that was supposed to be loved, something that was supposed to be desired, something that was supposed to be protected, was something that was supposed to have help towards other people was no longer any of those things. And the potential for good was lost. And the sacrifice represented by so many and the great cost associated with it, it was all wasted. Why? Well, because of a little folly. It was simple. You could call it an accident. You could say it was, a li- it was just, I just turned my back for a moment and the fly got into it. Don't know how it happened, but it happened and it, it was simple. And so Solomon says a little folly, a little foolishness, a single indiscretion, foolish choices, damage. So much good in life. When you engage in folly, and again, he's not saying here some great evil. We're not necessarily talking about sin tonight. We're going to get to the examples here in just a few minutes. But he's saying when you you allow simplicity into your life and you're not going to engage in a thoughtful way the world in which you live, you can damage your reputation. You can damage, because of ignorance, your, your, your character, your community, your church, your spirit, your home, your family. A little folly, a bad response. It can and it does ruin so much good in life. And so the challenge from chapter 9, as we read through chapter 9, the whole point of chapter 9 is, hey, be attracted to wisdom. Like, wisdom is powerful. It'll help you. You need to be pursuing it and attracted to it. And the whole point of chapter 10 is, and by the way, just so we understand, stay away from folly. Like, resist it and be on guard for it in your life. We need to understand that folly is the antithesis to wisdom. It's the exact opposite of it, it, of it. And so in this verse number two, he says this, look there with me. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Wisdom and those who have it 
is ultimately a leaning of your heart. Like either your heart's in your right hand and you're leaning to the right, or your heart's in your left hand and you're leaning towards the left things in life. What's the importance of the heart? Well, the heart determines direction. It's the center. It's the core of who you are. Your attitude, your choices, um, your ability to forgive and get past hurts and harms, your ability to bounce back from difficulty, your behavior, all of those things, they follow your heart. So the heart's important. And he says a wise man's heart's at his right hand. And so in the Bible, the right side usually represented power. It it represented strength. It was used to convey blessing. It was used to convey authority. We read that Jesus is seated seated down at the what? Right hand of God the Father, right? James and John were in an argument about who would get to sit on Jesus' right hand and his left hand. I mean, this is the argument between them because they understood the right hand was was a blessing. It was authority. it It was representative of power. In Matthew, Jesus taught that the sheep will be on the right and the goats on the left. And so we understand that when Solomon says that a wise man's heart is at his right hand, that's a good thing. But he says a foolish heart, a fool's heart, it's in his left hand. In other words, he's leaning the wrong way. He's not going the right way. And the reason he's going the wrong way is because he's leaning the wrong way. See, wisdom and folly, they're inclinations of the heart. And the main question from this text is from verse 2. And the question for you and I is, which way is your heart leaning? Which way is your heart leaning? Is your heart in your left hand or is your heart in your right hand? Are you engaged in thinking and processing and, and doing the things that are good and right in life? Is your heart leaning toward God or away from God? Are you reflective and serious about the sin in your life or is it an afterthought? We, we all have sin to deal with. Do you have an appetite at all for things that are spiritual? Like, why do we come? Why do we assemble? Am I, am I serving? Am I engaging? Am I loving? Is, are the, is the music real to me? Is my heart in my right hand, or am I just doing lip service? Am I just showing up? Am I here because I was told to be, or, or expected to be? My heart's in my left hand. Which, which, which way? Is church a place of fellowship only, or is it also a place of growth? So how do you know which way you're leaning? How do I know if I'm leaning to the right? Or how do I know if I'm leaning to the left? Well, Solomon says it's not that hard. It's not hard to identify a fool. So verse 3. He says, he also, and he that is a fool, and then he says these words, walketh by the way. What does that mean? Walketh by the way. Well, it just means the way he lives his life. It's, 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 it's his countenance. It's his spirit. It's the choices he makes. It's, it's how he interacts with his family, his wife, his children. The reputation he's known for in his job and work environment or, or, or her, or, 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 or the young person. He says, his wisdom, when he walketh by the way, it faileth him. So, he's moody. He's capricious. He's, he's not thinking about other people. He's thoughtless. He's selfish, self-centered. He's, he's not on time. He, he, he's, he's not engaged. He's not, he's, not, he's not thoughtful about the world. He's not loving. It says, his wisdom fails him. And he says to everyone, well, he's a fool. Like, 
everyone looks at him and goes, his heart's in his left hand. His heart's not in his right hand. His heart's in his left hand. Fools have a way of behaving that makes it obvious to everyone, but often just themselves. They're a fool. During the marriage conference, we, we showed some videos from a, a comedian, um, Jeff Foxworthy. And, and the, the clips we showed, were, were, they, were, they were pretty funny. And so Jeff Foxworthy is known, and some of you may know this, for some jokes called redneck jokes. And so he says things like, you know, you might be a redneck, and then he'll say, if you prefer car keys to Q-tips, which is disgusting, but we understand that. He says, you think the stock market has a fence around it. You might be a redneck if you think that. He says, you might be a redneck if chiggers are included on your top list, your, your list of top five hygiene concerns. He says, you might be a redneck if you've hit a deer with your car, deliberately. <laughs> he says, you might be a redneck if you clean your fingernails with a stick. I don't know what's wrong with that, anyway. He says, you might be a redneck if your mother has ammo on her Christmas list. This is Doral. All right. He says, you might be a redneck if there are more than five McDonald's bags in your car. car. And he just, you know, the list goes on and on. And it's great stuff. In other words, you, you observe this guy's behavior, the way he walks in the way, right? And he says, that guy's a redneck. Okay. In similar fashion, and in maybe a less humorous way, uh, you might be a fool if you're arrogant and you talk over other people. In Proverbs 21. You might be a fool, a simple fool, if you refuse advice and you just won't listen to correction from others. You resist it. You might be a fool if you're contentious and you love stirring the pot. Proverbs 18 and 29. You might be a fool if you make fun of those who are wise and you just discredit them because you, you don't want to do what they're saying. You might be a fool, Proverbs 12, if your temper flares quickly and you overreact. So you might be a fool if you repeat your mistakes in Proverbs 26. Kind of like a dog eats its own vomit. That's what Solomon said. See, and the list for these go on and on and on too. See, it's observable. He walketh by the way, his manner of life. If you listen to the words he says, the choices he makes, and the mistakes that he makes over and over and over again, you can just look at a man and say, he's a fool. Keeps, he keeps falling into the same rut. He keeps doing the same thing. He lacks grace. He lacks kindness. They won't forgive. They won't get over it. They, they just show up. There's a coldness of spirit there. Their heart, our heart sometimes, okay, I'll make it real personal. My heart sometimes is in my left hand. And Solomon says that's foolish. It's simple foolishness. Which way is your heart leaning? Sometimes it's not that we act foolishly. Sometimes we react foolishly. So look at verse 4 with me. He says, he says, if the spirit of the ruler rise up against you, he says, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. You may not start the folly. You may not be the one that blows up. You may not be the one that mishandles the situation. Someone else might be. It could be the ruler. And so here's the king or the person in a position of authority, and they act foolishly. And so what does the responding fool do? He responds 
foolishly to the person who acts foolishly. It's, it's the simple road, road rage scenario, right? You're driving down the interstate. You're doing the speed limit. A fool comes up behind you. They're blinking their lights. They're, you know, you know, going back and forth to try to get you to get out of the way. And you're not even in the fast lane. Okay, if you are, you deserve it. <laughs> but you're not in the fast lane. And, man, and, 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 you, and so that makes you upset. And so what do you do? Well, you're going to box them out and you get into this road rage scenario. Okay, a person acting with folly. And what does the simple person do? What do we do sometimes? We react with folly. Someone blows up at you, and what do you do back? Well, I'm going to blow up at you. You treated me unkindly, I'm going to treat you unkindly. Oh, you know, it was the illustration Carrie Schmidt used uh, Saturday morning here. You know, we're face to face, and then we're side to side, and we're back to back, and man, we're far apart in our marriages sometimes. You were cold to me, I'm cold back to you. We blow up, we quit, we walk away. And he says, leave not thy place. What's he saying? Don't react to folly with folly. Don't respond to anger with anger. Don't, re don't, don't pout when you're mistreated. Nothing good ever comes when two people are upset at each other and you leave your place. That, that's the wrong thing to do. Instead, you be flexible. You be understanding. Fools are everywhere. And a wise person whose hand, heart is in his right hand learns how to deal with them. Look at verse 5 with me. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an heir which proceedeth from the ruler. He says, folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Look, foolishness is found in high places. Foolishness is found everywhere you go. It is found in politics. It, it is found in the work environment. It is found in churches. It is found in homes. It is found in schools. It isn't bound to a position or an IQ. Foolishness is what he is teaching here is a disposition of our heart. Which way is your heart leaning? Is it leaning to the right? Is your heart in your right hand? Do you have control of your spirit? Or is it in your left? And there are significant consequences when our heart is in our left hand. And we have to learn to deal with fools without becoming one. Because when we do, we, we leave our place and life gets so damaging and difficult for us. When we act foolishly, we hurt ourselves the most. There are consequences to our actions. Good is lost. Other people suffer, but we suffer too. And so here's a man who's otherwise known as a reputation for honor and, 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 and a little bit of folly, a poor reaction, a bad spirit, a, a, a pouting uh, day for this, for this lady, for this woman, for this child. A bad response. And all of a sudden, here he says, there's a fly in the ointment of the apothecary. And it sends forth a stinking savor. And here's this otherwise good human being who lets a little simple folly into their life. And it has such bad ramifications for you. 
And he is saying in chapter 9, be attracted to wisdom. And he is saying in chapter 10, we better learn to repel foolishness in our life. We better make sure that our heart is in our right hand. And so he says this. Look at verse 8 with me. He that diggeth a a pit shall fall into it. And whoso breaketh an edge, hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Verse 9. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. These calamities are all accidental in nature. Let me just uh, frame something here real quick. When he says dig a pit, the context is this. Dig a well. That's the idea. It's not like I have malicious intent for Brian, so I'm going to dig a pit for him and then I'm going to fall into it. Now, there are other Proverbs that deal with that principle. Yes, I'm trying to hurt him and I will get hurt myself. But that's not this principle. Okay. He is saying, if you dig a well, be careful, be wise, don't be foolish, don't walk around it in the dark. Watch where you're going. Don't hurt yourself. Don't be so simple. Okay, these are illustrations. When you demolish an old wall or structure and hedge, you might get bitten by a hiding snake. So if you're demolishing an old edge, these little stone walls, maybe or something that they would have, and he said, you're going to knock that down. He says, be careful. Watch. Use common sense. If you're raking leaves in the yard, have some gloves on is the idea, right? Watch for a snake. Don't be so simple and naive that no harm's going to ever come to you because it's, it, it will. He says, if you work at a stone quarry, you might get hit by a rock. So be on guard. Be thoughtful about your surroundings. This is wisdom. If you chop wood, you might have an accident. Every stroke, he says, that you stroke with an, with an axe, you are endangering yourself, so be on guard. You've got a chainsaw. I don't have to explain this to us, right? Be, don't, don't take your eye off it. Keep it locked. Use it safely is, is, is the idea for modern context. If you engage in life as a simple person and you just take everything around you for granted, you fail to see dangers, you don't prepare for them, you're going to suffer. That's what he's saying. Okay, so, so here's our conclusion. We're, we're almost there. This is the challenge from the text. Which way is your heart leaning? And if you want to lean it to the right, if you want to not be simple, then do the hard things that wisdom requires so that your life isn't defined by folly. Make the hard decisions. Discipline yourself. Ask God for His grace, yes. Ask Him for wisdom, yes. James, we we preach all the time, and that is certainly part of this. It's just one part of it. There's a lot of hard work involved, too. And so do the hard things wisdom requires so that your life isn't defined by folly. Okay, so verse 10. Look there with me. He says, if the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. What's he saying? Sharpen the blades in your life. It takes a lot of strength and a lot of wasted effort to use a dull blade. And that is how too many people live. They live with a dull mind. They live with dull service. They live with dull worship. They live with a dull heart. And he's like, you're just working so hard and you're getting nowhere because you're dull. You didn't wet the edge. We keep flailing away at our work. We keep flailing away at our relationships and we never make any progress. We never change anything about ourselves. 
We wonder why our marriage stinks, but we don't come to the marriage conference. And if we do show up, we resist everything that's said, and we don't do any of the exercises that were given to us. And, and so consequently, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And so what's our response? I just got to try harder. Okay, this is what he's saying in the text. He, he, he is saying, I want you to look there again with me. The iron's blunt. You didn't sharpen it, and you got to get a bit more strength. Says, you're just trying so hard, and you're getting nowhere. I don't have time to exercise. <laughs> you're going to hate me in 30 seconds, all right? I don't have the resources to eat healthy. It's a lot of work, and I don't know how. I don't have time to read. I don't know how to pray, and I don't like to, and, and, and my mornings just aren't that way. I'm not a morning person, or I'm not an evening person, or I'm just not a any time of day person where things are hard person. <laughs> I don't know how to share my faith. It makes me uncomfortable, and I get nervous, and I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to love. Okay, it has been said that wars are won in the general's tent. So what do we want to do? Well, I'm just going to try harder. I'll just put tracks on doors, and, and that'll, be the, that'll be the extent of my Christian life. <laughs> I mean, that's good for you. That is not going to yield a lot of fruit, ultimately. What will? Your testimony, your heart, your interaction, your talk, your speech, your, your face? <laughs> I, I don't want to eat healthy. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to do any of those things. Okay, and your body's falling apart, and it's going to, and you're going to be unhealthy because I don't want to, you're not going to read the books. You're not going to put in the effort. How about you change some things about yourself and make forward progress? Well, these relationships don't work, and people don't like me, and, and I married the wrong person, and the kids are misbehaved. He says, wisdom is profitable. And then he says these two words. Because we know the value of wisdom. Got it. It's profitable. To direct. It means it points you a certain direction, and you've got to do the work. You, you've got you've to you've discipline yourself. You've got to tell yourself no. Wisdom directs you. It guides you. It, it, it forces you to change. I'm not a happy person. You can become one. I'm not very loving. You can be. I'm not healthy. You can be. I'm not very smart. You can become better. Wisdom is profitable, he says, to direct, sharpen the blade. Change something about yourself. Make yourself sharper. Okay, then he says, verse 11, surely the serpent will bite without enchant enchantment, and a babbler is no better. Okay, <laughs> it took me a minute in study to figure out this. Okay, a babbler... What I think of babbler is I think of someone who just won't stop talking, right? Anybody know anybody like that? Okay. You're like, yeah, you right now. Okay. It, it doesn't mean a person who runs their mouth too much. It's the idea of a master. And so the owner of this snake that he's talking about, the serpent, is attempting to charm the snake. And the principle is simply this. Be prepared to act decisively when the moment calls for it. Okay. Once a snake is charmed, it can be kept under control 
of the babbler. Okay, we might say like snake handler or whatever other word you know you want to use to describe that person. He's using the word uh, a babbler. Okay, and if you don't, he is saying you better watch out because that snake might strike when it's not under enchantment. So be on guard, be watchful, be ready to move. Here's here's the idea: foolish delay will bite you. So be on guard. What does that mean for us tonight? I think it means this. If you wait too long to fix the simple areas of your life that are folly, it's going to bite you and hurt you. You wait too long to fix your marriage. You wait too long to fix that relationship You you wait too long to shore up that friendship. You wait too long to share your faith. You wait too long to become a better Christian. You wait too long to get healthy and take care of the body, the temple God's given to you. You wait too long to fix your spirit. You're going to become entrenched in that type of thing, and it's going to bite you. And the longer you wait, the problem grows. Problems don't go away on their own. It's like a cancer. It just grows. And the bigger it gets, the harder it is to deal with. And foolish delay is going to bite you. Be on guard. You know, Jesus knew the difference between wisdom and folly. And once he told the story, you know the story, Matthew chapter 7. He's not talking about wickedness here. He says, here's two guys. And one guy goes out, he sees this plot, and it's beautiful. And, it, and he looks at this, and he says, man, my house would look so good there. And so he starts to build his house on it, and it's easy access. There's, 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 there's running water right by. Everything about it's lush and it's beautiful. And man, he builds this beautiful home here. And another guy, he's surveying, and, and he, he thinks to himself, well, I, I want to build a secure house. And so he, he finds this plot, and it's not as pretty, and it's a lot more work. And getting the materials to that location is more difficult. And every day is more of a challenge. But he builds this house here. And then Jesus discloses to us what's underneath the houses. And the man who's, who's on this side, who's, whose heart is in his left hand, it's a beautiful home, it's a beautiful setting, and it was an easy house to build. It was easier, I should say. Nothing's easy. But underneath it was some sand. And this guy who had to build his house, he, and it was hard, and, and, and it wasn't popular, and, and it was so difficult, and it was just this uphill climb all the time. But he built it, and Jesus discloses to us that underneath this house was rock. And then one day, the rain came. It was Oklahoma style. And it was a gusher. And this guy's house went, it went flat. And this guy's house stood firm and strong. And even though it was more hard to build, he had something that was lasting, and he had something enduring. And it mattered. It was just a little thing, the foundation. But man, it made a big difference. And Jesus believed it was a difference between life and death. There's a man named Bruce Barton, and he said this quote. He said, sometimes... When I consider what tremendous consequences come from little things, he said, I am tempted to think there are no little things. Hey, in your life, don't be so simple. 
don't think that you can just be naive and ignorant and it's okay. It's not. We are called to full pursuit, to sharpen the blade, to be on guard, to live a life of readiness, to be aware of the dangers, to be serving and loving and good people. And that takes a lot of effort, but it's building a house in the rock. So which way is your heart leaning? The way you live is observable to other people, whether you know it or not. Is your heart leaning to the right or is it leaning to the left? And let's purpose tonight once more. So God, help me with the little things in life. Help me to be aware of my strength. Help me to have wisdom. Help me to purpose that I'm going to do the hard work and put in the hard effort. In whatever area of life you need to, in your job, you're going to sharpen the blade. In, in this church, be the best you can be. I'm going to tell you, a sermon like this, on the, on the, on the weekend we had, <laughs> it was a little extra work this weekend. Do it anyway. Because it makes a difference. Those little things add up. Let's commit our lives to working hard, to making a difference, and, and leaning into the right. And say, God, by your grace, may my heart be in my right hand. Let me ask you to stand tonight. We'll have a brief response to the message this evening. I don't know what specific area you need to address tonight. I know we all have one. And so let's ask God's help for that tonight.